Welcome to the Beyond the Test podcast, where we connect you with professionals who are innovating their industry and share their stories of passion, self-awareness, and pursuing their dreams to learn what it takes to succeed in work and life beyond the test. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Beyond the Test podcast. If you're new to the show, we're your hosts, Michael Cohen, the tech rabbi, and Ara Manzano, 11th grade student at Eula Boys High School. As director of innovation at Eula Boys High School, this podcast was created as a response to a void that Ariel noticed. I noticed that you can find podcasts if you work in industries like marketing, real estate, or finance. But what about if you don't know what you want to do? This is the podcast for you. Whether you're a high school student or someone still searching for that dream profession, we hope the conversations here with our amazing guests will inspire you to think beyond the test. Two, one. Our guest is an Australian comic book artist. With a history in theater and in costume design, she started pursuing a comics career in 2001. She quickly became a fan favorite when she began working exclusively for DC Comics on iconic characters such as Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, and team titles such as Birds of Prey, Secret Six, Teen Titans, and New York Times bestseller Earth 2. She's appeared in W Magazine and Vogue Australia. We would like to welcome Nicola Scott to our podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Ariel. Thanks for having me. Um, so we're going to start off with this first question, generally the first question that we start off with all our guests, just to give kind of a general background to our listeners. So here we go. Tell us a little bit about your professional journey. Lots of teenagers think you go to college to get one job, and that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Right. Uh, well, that was in no way the case for me. Um I didn't go to college and I didn't do terribly well at high school. I was a bit dyslexic, so I had trouble uh, sort of writing essays. Um, I had trouble reading, but I was uh, always comfortable talking. So anytime we had to give an audible presentation, I was fine and I tended to do really well. Um, I also went to a performing arts high school where I uh, acting was my major. Um, and I come from a creative family where so there wasn't necessarily the pressure or expectation on any of us to go to college to get a serious you know office job um we were kind of expected to do the best with what we had and what we had was creative um skills and talents and interests really um and so for me, acting was kind of where I was focusing. Um, and so I did study acting. I studied it obviously through high school, but also after high school. So instead of going to college, um, I went to a, a private acting school. Um, and that was where I felt like my personal journey was. Um, partly because, you know, I came from this artistic family, but everyone had sort of found their own voice. My older sister was a graphic designer or is a graphic designer. Um, and my middle sister is a singer songwriter and they both sort of went off in their direction. And my skills and interests were very like my mother's, um, in terms of the, the things that I was good at and the things that I was interested at. And the only thing that made me different was that I liked acting. 
And so for me, that was my personal thing that no one else was sort of, uh, that I wasn't sort of in competition or, or, or I could just own it and, and learn it from the ground up my own way. And so that I think was why I was so passionate um, about pursuing that as a career. But I, it didn't quite work out for me that way. I wasn't, I hadn't learned how to be strategic. I got very good at the skills of acting and I got to sort of really develop my talent for acting, but I didn't really develop the skills for how to build a creative career. And that, uh, and, and you, you know, part, part of that was sort of knowing how to find the opportunities and I didn't at all look for the opportunities. So I was kind of missing those. Um, and that all went out the window when I decided in my late twenties. So I, I had, I felt like I needed to have a career change or just an ambition change because acting wasn't working out how I hoped it would. Um, that was when I started sort of looking back on, okay, what are the other things that I can do? And the other things that I could do pretty well were sewing and drawing. Um, they were the skills that I sort of had developed throughout my childhood and through, through, uh, you know, sort of learning under my mother's tutelage. Um, and they were the things that I'd sort of developed on my own. You know, I still made a lot of my own clothes and I still drew all the time, but I'd never really thought about how I might turn any, either of those into a career. Um, and it took probably, I think about 18 months from the moment of deciding I needed to find something else to actually arriving at drawing comic books. Um, and that was a very slow process essentially of trying to work out the different ways that one can make a career, uh, out of being able to sew or being able to draw and then eliminating pretty much all of them as I thought of them, you know, I, I, I wouldn't just dismiss them straight away. Uh, I found myself sort of really, especially the ones that sort of did interest me, like doing costume design or production design for theatre, because I had actually done a little bit of that when I was acting and I had worked on a number of short films where, you know, everyone's got a bunch of hats on. So as well as acting, I'd be the, you know, costume designer and or, and or the production designer. So I had built up a little bit of experience doing those things. But when I sort of really dived into what qualifications might I need for that um, and what are the career opportunities for those things, they seemed either limited in what I had access to or uh, just not as exciting to me as I thought they might have been. Um, so very slowly but surely I just started eliminating things and it wasn't until instead of trying to work out what I could do, I had this moment um, where I was sort of contemplating the question again and I thought, what do I want to do? What, what, what do I want to do that would just make me happy to sit down and do all day every day? Because essentially that's, you know, what a job is. You have to do it all day every day so you better enjoy it. And to me, I just straight away, I thought, oh God, I wish I could just draw Wonder Woman because I love Wonder Woman. I, drew up, I, I grew up 
drawing Wonder Woman all the time because I grew up at the time of the TV series in the 70s. Um, and she was my first superhero and I really loved her. Um, but I never really got into comic books. And so it hadn't been a natural uh, sort of direction for me. But as soon as I thought, oh, I wish I could just draw Wonder Woman all day, straight away that was immediately followed by the thought of, oh, my goodness, that is actually a job that somebody has. And that job sort of involves designing costumes for characters and designing uh, sort of environments and, and sets for them to act in and I get to act all the characters. It seemed like all of the skills that I've been developing through my life were suddenly uh, applicable in this one job in an industry that I had no idea about. And I was nearly 30 when I decided I was going to draw comics. Um, and I didn't know anything about the industry because there isn't very much of an industry in Australia where I live. Uh, but I didn't let that sort of stop me from learning and I just decided I needed to learn on the fly. That's great. You know, I when I heard you speak at the Adobe conference, you know, I, I was, you know, three or four rows from the front and I, I was so just overwhelmed and excited as I was hearing your story because I felt like if if I had heard your story when I was in high school, I maybe would have been more open to taking some risks and, and really pursuing my passions because I didn't really have a creative role model or any real resources to figure out things beyond this, you know, traditional scope that the guidance counselor or that my parents or my parents' friends were, 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 were sharing with me. And that kind of, that kind of right. helps me build on uh, a, a couple other questions that have been running through my mind. Mostly what really blew me away from your story and the reason why I was so excited when you uh, said that you'd be on the show is the way that you were able to not just pivot, but really identify what am I good at? High school students struggle with that. And so to, to ask the, the question to kind of help you uh, help our audience get more clarity in, in their own creative potential is that, you know, this creative thought process and these strategies that, that you went, you had shared during the keynote um, your, your journey, you know, at Comic-Con and, and some of the rejection and some of yeah. these hurdles. How, how do you go about, or at least in the beginning before you reached this point where you were succeeding in the place you wanted to be in, what, what strategies did you go about to ensure that you would never give up and you would stay strong and, and also just be in the right place? Right. Well, I think, look, I have to say, honestly, I think my age had something to do with my focus and determination. Um, I think that was probably that that maturity was what I was lacking with acting. And I also, like, I did have the role models around me, um, the creative role models, because, you know, this, this sort of big girl creative family that I come from, uh, sort of very much helped me develop and indulge my own creative, um, instincts. Um, and then I had both of my sisters sort of hit success very early in their different careers. So I had this notion that, you know, if you, were, if you were good at what you do and you work really hard, then you'll just get the success. And obviously that didn't happen to me 
with acting. And I think it was because I, I didn't hit the lucky breaks, but I also wasn't making myself open to lucky breaks. I was just waiting for the lucky break to arrive. And I think that was the, the, probably the biggest learning curve for me was going, okay, luck doesn't just like it, it can just happen, but you shouldn't be waiting for it to just happen. I think what sort of really drove me was this knowledge that, um, what I had decided that I was going to do was so far from where I currently was that I knew I needed to do all the work to get there, that I couldn't just wait for a lucky break to happen. And that I think was the thing that propelled me, you know, that, that thing of just sort of being old enough and mature enough to know that it's not going to happen just because I've decided that this is what I want to do and I can draw well. Having all of those barriers in front of me, the fact that there isn't really that much of an industry in Australia and there are very few people, certainly at the time there was nobody uh, in Australia who was making a living in comics um, and there was no one in Australia who had broken into the sort of modern arena of um, American comics. So I didn't have a sort of a direct role model to, to follow their path. So because of that, it just sort of, instead of feeling disempowered by that lack of a a path to follow, I felt like it did empower me by making me think, okay, I have to do this on my own. I'm going to be competing with people who are 10 years younger than me that have more access because they're in the States. Um, They're probably been reading comic books their whole lives. Um, they know all the things or, you know, all the, all the geek knowledge that I don't have, <laughs> they know, you know, all this sort of gatekeeper mentality, which seems to be a, a big thing now, you know, that the conversation about sort of, you know, the gatekeepers of, of uh, various particularly sort of creative um, professional fields. I just knew I didn't have any of those tools in my belt but what I did have was determination to learn and I think that was I just decided that it needed to empower me rather than disempower me and you know a little bit of that is is you know my my natural instinct is to go oh yeah I can do that um even when I have no idea what I'm doing, I feel pretty confident that I can, that I can learn. Um, and I had set myself some certain rules that were about making sure I kept up a, a very s- sort of um, specific momentum and that I didn't let uh, anything stop me from believing that I could do it. Now, that's not to say that, you know, I I took whatever criticism came my way and threw it behind me, like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. I would absolutely be listening to people that knew what they were talking about and I would listen to them as they would go through my portfolio and just a little bit rip it to shreds 
but I just knew that I needed to not be emotionally distracted by what I was hearing. I needed to learn from what I was hearing because I had to accept that I didn't know anything. So, you know, there, there, there is a vulnerability that comes from, you know, being the person in the room that has no idea what they're doing. But I just had, I just, there were a number of times where I could, I would hear a question coming out of my mouth that I just think this sounds like the dumbest question. And I would see people who were in the space that I was in, like if I was sitting in on a masterclass or if I was uh, at a portfolio review and there were some other people sitting around, I knew that I would be asking a question that everybody else around me would know the answer to. But I wanted to ask the question of the professional because I wanted their answer, not the other people who were trying to break in. I didn't, I didn't need to know what they had learned the hard way. I wanted to learn from the people who'd succeeded, um, who had earned their stripes. I wanted their opinion on things and all the people who are along the way, um, their, their opinion was less important. It still sort of gave me a little bit of guidance, but, you know, unless they had done the job or succeeded in the job, then they didn't really know the job. They might be a very good artist. They might know comics backwards. They might know the full backstory of, you know, Mr. Terrific. I don't know, you know, um, but that, sort of geek knowledge was less important than the professional knowledge. And I just learned how to separate what I thought was important information from what I thought was just distracting information. That's really great. The whole idea of getting rid of the distracting information and keeping the important information. I want to kind of a pivot to in school nowadays, the communication skills, especially verbal and visual, are really undervalued. Can you weigh in on why these skills are more important than ever in the world of work? I find the single most important thing in any kind of business relationship, in any kind of relationship at all, whether it be personal or family or business, um, is clarity of communication. And, you know, as someone who has always had trouble with spelling, has had trouble with reading and has trouble with writing in general, um, I knew, uh, as, especially, and, and as someone who was trying to break into an industry that was on the other side of the planet from where I lived, I knew that communication needed to be really clear and concise and so certainly for me, uh, I knew that any time I wrote an email, and I now apply this to how I sort of communicate on social media, I will often write out all of my thoughts in an email and then I will edit it down. I will just sort of delete, 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 delete until I get to the actual piece of information that I'm requesting or wanting to convey, because I I know when I'm talking, I waffle on forever. You know, I'm, I'm I'm I can talk until the cows come home. And but when it comes to writing, I can't write the same way because what I'm trying to say 
doesn't have that sort of personal emphasis of me delivering what it is that I'm saying. So therefore I need to be really clear. And as that sort of clarity of communication isn't something that comes naturally to me, I have to really focus on it. So I'm very conscious of my punctuation. I'm very conscious of my spelling. And I really try to make uh, my communication as concise and easy to understand as possible. Because certainly in in building a career and in, in communicating in any way, you have to put as much, if not more, emphasis on who is hearing what it is that you're saying rather than what you're saying. Because certainly, you know, for me, uh, when I was dealing with editors on the other side of the planet, um, I knew that they were a lot busier than I was, that I was one of very, very many people who wanted their attention at any given stage. And therefore, any time I communicated with them, I needed them to not feel distressed by an email from me arriving in their inbox. And they'd think, oh, gosh, here comes Nicola again with her, you know, rants and waffles. Um, instead, you know, I knew that if they became familiar with my emails, that they could open them, they could read them quickly, they would know whatever it was that I was trying to tell them or ask them, and they could respond to it really quickly. And it was not a hassle for them. So I feel like that in itself is, is a big part of communication. And I do the same thing when I get really sort of angry about something on social media, I do find myself often typing out, you know, whatever my response might be, or whatever my comment might be. And more often than not, almost, I would say 98% of the time, I delete it. Because I've exercised the thought from my head and my heart by writing it down. But I haven't sent it out into the world where you know, people either don't need to hear it or they don't need to hear it from me. Um, and I feel like that has, uh, you know, sort of really, really helped my own personal um, sort of understanding of how to deal with social media, but it's also helped me to uh sort of not alienate um, people who are not just sort of my, my readership or my fan base, but also my, my peers and my family and, and such, you know, I, I'm still, uh, you know, very decided on my opinions and I think everybody knows what my opinions are, but I just sort of try not to be volatile about them. Um, and I try to be clear and as comprehensive and as accommodating as possible. That's great. I, I just, yeah, I think the, the students hearing this and, you know, the young people hearing this and even, you know, anyone who's hearing this needs to really, really take a look at how in, in the real world, you, there is no segments of, okay, now we're doing visual communication. Now it's written, but th there's a whole blend and that everything has to build off and support, um, another type of modality of communication. Uh, one of the yeah. things that uh, I'm, I'm always interested in hearing from, from our guests is uh, it's sort of a two-fold question, which is, you know, the soft skills of collaboration and the way in which technology is evolving. How do these two types of 
both tool and 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 method of 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 accomplishing goals support your work and and also just the, your general sort of um, you know insights into the the value of of collaboration and and technology as something that can really help one succeed in their professional work. Right. Well, certainly technology has made my career possible because uh, it used to be in my industry uh, in comic books, the two major superhero companies, DC and Marvel, both used to run out of offices in New York City. And it used to be that you kind of needed to be quite local to those companies to get and maintain work because they had, you know, creative bullpens in the office where a lot of, you know, the artists and the writers would go and work. They would go and work at the office. Um, And, you know, if you were high enough up the food chain, then maybe you could work from home, but your home better not be further away than, you know, a few stops on the train. Um, And that was what, because it's a small industry, uh, it will always sort of be about the community of peers. And with the advent of social media, that sort of, uh, uh, well, even prior to social media, just the the internet um, and being able to sort of immediately communicate with people all over the world with email. Um, with the, the sort of the accessibility of that throughout the 90s, um, that sort of changed the way these smaller boutique industries can operate. And so we're now at a point, and we have been at this point for at least a good decade, where people who are working in this little industry that I'm a part of um, are working from all over the world in so many different languages, but they're still working for the American industry. And so technology has played a huge part in our ability to do that. Um, and when it comes to the sort of specifics of collaboration, uh, what that means is more often than not, we're not collaborating with someone who's sitting at the desk next to us. We're sitting, we're collaborating with someone who's sitting at their desk in their home, in their city, which is more often than not in a different hemisphere and continent to where I'm sitting, um, and a different time zone as it is, you know, for us right now, um, that communication means that it has to be digital. Um, but we, I, I've found that, you know, we need to sort of spend time getting to know each other, uh, sort of over these digital platforms so that our communication is that much more clear and concise and it's it's easier for us to understand each other. Um, I know that there have been a couple of times when I've had a brand new editor um, at the companies that I work for, you know, someone that I'm not familiar with and they're not familiar with me personally, that we might take a little while getting to know each other. And as soon as as soon as that sort of, you know, period of time has, has happened and we've developed an understanding of, of what our personal um, way of communicating might be, you know, what our sensitivities are, what, uh, what things we're, we're sort of less likely to get upset about and more likely to, you know, 
get defensive or or passionate about um that collaboration always becomes that much easier and in fact i've found that the the most sort of creatively satisfying jobs that i've ever had are when i'm working with a writer because it's essentially the the business that i'm in um the collaboration pool is pretty small. We operate in a big ecosystem, but usually what we are specifically doing, the title or the project that we are specifically working on, that team is quite small. It's usually myself as the artist, um, somebody else as the writer and the editor, and we are a tight little unit. And from there, there are a couple of other people that are working around us and for us and with us. But we are the tight unit. And I've always found that these collaborations are at their best when we've met each other face-to-face a few times Um, because you're just that much more sure of not only what you're communicating being understood but understanding what's being communicated at you. Yeah, I think it's really important for high schoolers to understand how important relationships are in the business world and then really in work in general. And you talked about your tight knit little group with you and the editor and your other coworkers and how important those relationships were to get out good comics and good work. And I think that's something that high schoolers undervalue. And I think another thing that high schoolers don't fully understand is failure High schoolers are terrified of failure and they don't really understand what failure looks what failure looks like. So what does failure look like to you? Look, I feel like failure failure is learning. Um, I think the the fear of failure can really stop people from being adventurous or being uh bold in their choices uh to me failure is not only really important but I kind of love the challenge of failure because in failure you discover the answers to questions that either you didn't know the answers to or you didn't even know the question existed and I find that uh anytime I sense that there might be a failure around. I'm just like, okay, that's interesting. What can I learn from that? What mistakes did I make? What mistakes did I allow someone else to make? Um, How can I improve on that? What are the bits that did work, if any of it worked? Um, And how can I apply that to the next thing? So I've... part of my sort of strategy building when I was building my career from the very beginning was knowing that every job that I had, every encounter that I had, every sort of lesson that I was learning, every single one of those was like a stepping stone Um, because I knew where I wanted to be was a fair way off in the distance and focusing on arriving at that spot is actually not helpful at all to getting there. Um, it's like a lot of, a, a, a lot of 
young, um, a lot of young actors, a little bit like myself, who are sort of concentrating on being famous rather than being good at what they do and maybe letting fame happen. Um, to me, the, the end goal is only worth, worth it if the journey there has been rich and informative and earned you know I feel like the 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 journey to get where you want to go is so much more important than the destination because the thing is the destination is always changing you know I I have reached a couple of sort of big goals in my life and the thing is once you've reached it you're like well, great. So what's next? And if you're in a position where you can sort of uh, always be sort of uh, nourished and and um, satisfied with the journey of getting somewhere, then it doesn't, then the destination is so much less important. I remember at the beginning of my career thinking when I get my first work published, I'm going to celebrate because it's going to be such a big deal to me. Um, But by the time that happened, I was so busy on the next project, which was a little more exciting, that it kind of flew by. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's exciting. But anyway, I'm doing this next thing. And by the time I got my job at DC Comics, which had been a big goal for me, um, I was very excited about it coming out, but it also happened in the same month and only like a week away from when I got married. And so I was kind of more concentrating on the excitement of getting married and also the job of the issue that I had in front of me, which was like three issues beyond the issue that was just coming out. So there was, there has been this sort of, um, feeling of the the goals are less in the the goals are important to have ahead of you um and it is really satisfying to achieve them but I don't ever want to find myself in that position of arriving at my goal and saying right well I'm done you know life is good I can I can die now because I've achieved the one goal that I had because the 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 goal should be fleeting. It should be part of the stepping stones to the next one. Um, And so failure to me is part of the stepping stones that get you where you want to go. And if you can keep sort of uh, projecting uh, where you want to go from where you are at whatever stage of your career you're in, sort of failures just become these sidesteps where you learn something about the broader space in which your successes are taking place. So I find that the the failures are just as important um, to the the building your your career and your resilience and your um, your attitude towards the things that you want to do. You know, failure is really important. I, I, anytime I find that there's a failure, I'm always like, oh, well, that's a bummer because it didn't work out how I hoped it would. But 
I'm really depressed about a failure because I'm too busy thinking about what the next thing is. That's great. There's so there's so many really just incredible insights that you've shared with us uh, during this conversation, and we we love to finish off the podcast with uh, the following question, and we're really excited to to hear your thoughts on it. It's beyond the test. What is the one skill or area of knowledge that high school students need to be successful in the world of work? Experience, whether it be just general life experience travel experience or relationship experience and friendship experience and it's participating and doing things I think that is to me way more well certainly for me was way more important than any test because you know unless it was a practical test or an artistic test or an acting test I did really average you know average to poor because I wasn't super great in the sort of academic environment. Um, but what I lacked in that department, it, it, I, I never felt, you know, when I was, I was lucky that I was sort of, you know, supported by a good family and I had good friends, but I never felt dumb because I always had um, an adventurous spirit and I always had experiences that people around me didn't necessarily have. And I made sure that all of those experience, all of those experiences had, I treated them with value. Um, and because I could see an experience for what it was and I could see the value in any specific experience, um, that in itself made my life feel very rich, very satisfying, and I felt like I was learning um, uh, a lot at any given stage. And, you know, when I compare myself to my, my f- friend group in Australia, you know, we're, we're all a similar age, um, a lot of them went to university. Um, I I hope this doesn't sound as conceited as it possibly will be. I know that I have one of the most satisfying and fulfilling lives out of my friends. Um, And that is down to the fact that I've given myself challenges um, that are important to me and that have value and and worth to me and I've built my life out of that rather than built my life out of other people's expectations of what success might be or out of uh, other people's uh, perception of what success might be. And to me that that has just sort of made my life exactly what I want it to be, which is incredibly sort of satisfying. Well, thank you so much. We, we loved having this conversation. I think you gave our audience an incredible insight into how to pursue our, 
our love for the work that we do and your insights around all these questions, I think are just going to be just incredible food for thought for our, our, our audience, these, these high school students that we just are trying to do our best to give them access to incredibly creative and talented people in various industries so that they have something more to latch onto to succeed in, in, in pursuing their dreams. Sure. I think it's a great idea. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends. If you could rate and subscribe in iTunes, that would be amazing. For sneak peeks and to recommend the guest, follow us on Instagram at Beyond the Test Podcast. New episodes drop every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening and thinking Beyond the Test. Beyond the Test.